listening to. Hello, Lauren. Hello. How are you doing tonight, Doug? Good. 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 All right. Good. Good evening, everybody. This is Lauren Smith coming to you from Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio here with Doug Highcheck. And uh, he is the director of Monster Quest, Legend Meets Science, among many, many other fantastic works. Um, so we are so grateful to have him here. And I know you guys are going to have a lot of questions and we will get to those um, as soon as we can. But in the meantime, um, we're just going to, you know, see where the interview takes us. So how are you doing tonight? I am doing good. Okay. Other than being blown away all day from the wind. <clears throat> we had like 50 mile an hour winds today. It was crazy. Yeah, we had a strong south wind here today. And um, mm -hmm. what that means in the south is that if you have allergies, you are suffering right now, um, which is why I sound the way I sound. But um, you said that you were riding, you were uh, bike riding. in this. Yeah, I've been I've been building e-bikes um, for research. Because to me, I think it's going to be the ultimate future right. research tool. And so I build these um, really high-powered e-bikes okay. that are like 2,000-watt e-bikes. And we're out testing a new one today. Really? That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they actually do allow those in wildlife management areas now. They so. do. Just pretty much anywhere you can ride a bike. That's crazy. The difference is, is the bikes I build, I mean, you can get a burst of speed into 50 miles an hour. Really? So... Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Newsweek interviewed me once for, you know, how, you know, how do I think the mystery will end? And I said, it's going to be some electric powered vehicle. That really? was my prediction. Okay. Either a Tesla coming around a corner at, you know, a hundred miles an hour. Uh, because you think about all the road sightings, all the road crossings, it seems to be the most common, you know, sighting that I've taken is these, road crossings um i was talking to a guy the other day and crossed right in front of his truck if he would have been going faster he would have hit it you know that's so a, that's a good i mean yeah. so you think that they won't be able to hear it coming basically no i really don't because i mean think about it they're used to um gas engines atvs mm -hmm. dirt bikes and so now you can be going the speed of a dirt bike Quite but good. zero sound okay yeah. Right. Well, so, um, you know what? I hope your prediction comes true. I really do. <laughs> you know, one never knows. I mean, as you know, if you develop something new, yes. you can't just test it once. No. You can't just no. be one guy testing it once. Well, that didn't work. You know, time to move on to something else. Right. So you've got to do something over and over and over. And that's hard for any one individual to do. Absolutely. You know, you have to. These e-bikes, like I was talking to Michael Waldy today, mm -hmm. and I was saying, Michael, you need a high-powered e-bike to go along with that high-tech truck. That you, <laughs> you know, you can load the bikes in the back, yeah, and these things will go right through the forest. Right. You know, silently. That's and then true. what we do is we blast animal calls, like coyote, mm -hmm. you know, wolf howls, and uh, rabbit, you know, dying rabbit calls, just right. to kind of even distract what we're doing more. Absolutely. Give that those artificial calls movement, you know. Right. Um, like we go to Namaji State Forest, which is just massive, and drive through and just blast calls. Um, so if you picture doing that at night, it gets a little unnerving. Yes, but, but it could be really effective. If you can, so go it's kind of my latest then you can get out of a sticky situation in a, in a hurry. So that's, that's, a that gives you security. Yes. Unlike walking, <laughs> walking or just a regular bicycle or dirt bike or yeah. 
right. a dirt bike, I guess, could, but um, a mountain bike is where I was going. Yeah, with that. but they're going to hear you coming from a mile away. With these, it's just um, literally I can't hear anything when I'm driving them. Maybe the tires hitting the ground, right. but to me, it may cause confusion. Right. Confusion would be good in I research. I could yeah. see that as, um, you know, what is coming towards me so fast, you know, right. I could definitely yeah. see that. Um, I'm trying to picture Michael Waldy on a bike right now. And <sighs> honestly, it kind of picturing a guy in a cowboy hat on a bike with his big squatch truck in the clearing behind him, leaving well, it behind. What we, do, what we do learn is it's actually these big, um, fat tire bikes. Okay. They have actually bigger and fatter tires than a motorcycle. Right. So they're not, you know, they're not. They're not skinny wheeled mountain bikes. So it's, it's you know, a masculine bike, is what you think. float over logs. I mean, we drive right over the top of logs. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, you look good on one. Yeah, I uh, I think that um, you definitely have a good idea there, and I would I would definitely love to hear or see kind of the results of that. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, yeah, we haven't really had much chance to use them, but we're hoping next year will be our big debut. Yeah. Oh, that'll be awesome. I look forward to seeing that for sure. Yeah. For sure. So I just wanted to tell you, um, so I, we were chatting before the show. I told you Nightcallers has been on air for over 10 years. We've had over 300 episodes, one of which you've been on before in the past, um, about 10 years ago. It's been a minute. Yeah, um, but I wanted to say that usually my starting question to people is what got you into this? And I will ask you that question. However, I want to let you know that a, and this is over 300 episodes of people that I've talked to and a very large portion of them named Monster Quest as the reason that they got really? into this. Wow. Well, that's probably the nicest compliment I've ever heard. It, I, cool. it, they said it changed their lives. It got them interested in it because it, it, you know, Monster Quest, what I love about it is that it looks at it in a, um, it gives the witness account, of course, but it goes about it in a scientific way, which makes it, you know, a lot more, a lot more easy to accept. And, and it's just uh, more palatable that way. Um, it's more legit. And so um, it's changed a lot of lives. And so I just wanted to. Well, Monster Quest was really born out of me being curious. Mm -hmm. So maybe that came through. You know, I, I always tell people I'm a wildlife researcher first. Then I became a film producer so I could study wildlife. <laughs> okay. That makes sense because it yeah, would pay yeah, my absolutely. bills. Yeah, it absolutely. would give me money to pay my bills. Like, okay, just to give you an example. Um, I had this crazy idea one day. I want to build this underwater platform through cameras all the way around it. Mm -hmm. All this really cool lighting, and I want to put it in the bottom of Lake Superior. Just an idea one day, because I'm curious. Right. What goes on in a world where there's nobody around? Right. I mean, what a, you couldn't think of a more spooky place no, than the bottom of Lake Superior. Right. Right. Even to me, it's more spooky than the ocean, because yeah. we know so little about it. Um, so I started right away. I went to the hardware store, and I started buying parts and looking for the body of this thing. And I made this thing called the Benthic Explorer. Put a hydrophone on it, a fish feeding system, 360 cameras, um, put naval technology lighting, hyperspectral, multispectral lighting, mm -hmm. microscopic cams, put sage meters. I wanted put a fish intelligence test on this thing and then sucked a whole bunch of people in it, you know, just people who were curious into my little right. project. 
And next thing you know, I got 50 people I'm working with. Oh, my gosh. We, we lower it down, and divers and helicopters and big research ships. I built this in my garage. <laughs> and, and I'm like, flash forward, and I'm, I'm on this ship, and we're going to lower it, and all these divers are in. I mean, I just thought, God, it's the curiosity that's the key. You know, it's what motivated me, but I wanted to instill curiosity in the people that get to watch it live on the internet. Cause then I put it, you know, with the talk discovery channel into putting it on their website. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So anyhow, that's, and, and so I got into doing monster quest out of just plain old everyday curiosity. Mm-hmm. You know, what are these things? What are other creatures? Where do they come from? What goes on in the forest when nobody's around? Mm-hmm. You know, which I know you share that interest. Absolutely. Um, it's it's really amazing. And, and how it changed anybody is, you know, probably um, expected. But that was my goal. I mean, that really was my goal to instill curiosity in other people. Well, absolutely. And the byproduct of your curiosity is that you're educating other people. And that's pretty amazing. Changing lives, like I said. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously a motivator. But to be real honest, I mean, if I really had to admit it, first it was always my own damn curiosity that turned nuts. You know, and it does. It keeps me up at night. You know, I've still got a bunch of things I'm curious about. You know, <laughs> I'm done. sure. I wish I was younger and, you know, had another life to go, but I don't. But there are still many, many things that make me, you know, really, really super curious. Well, that's, and, that's um, good for your fans because that means that there are more projects in the works that we get to is. watch. Yeah, so. there is. There's one, I've, you know, I've always had this idea of kind of a grand <clears throat> finale Bigfoot show. Mm-hmm. That would really be the, that would have more science in it than ever, ever, that's ever been applied with every category of dream evidence people would want. And so I've spent the last, well, since Monster Quest went, sort of went off the air, um, it's been 11 years and I've just worked on gathering new evidence for that 11 years. That's and I awesome. want to unleash it. That is awesome. We've got some, and we'll talk about some of it tonight. Some of it's pretty amazing. Oh, that's, I look forward to that. I really do. Um, I know you had told me that you have new stuff to talk about and new yeah. plans, and I was, I'm was i really excited because I'm a huge fan of your work. So um, I, I would love it. Uh, so, so you had mentioned before the show that you have had sightings yourself. Yep, so I have. Can you tell me about your first one. Sure. Well, okay. So my first experience with Bigfoot, and I don't even know if I've told this story. I was deer hunting with my uncle and my friend and my, and my um, cousins. And we were up in Orr, Minnesota. It's probably 20 miles from the border of Canada to Canada. And it was the first time I'd hunted in this area. And my uncle put us each in a deer stand about a quarter mile apart. And before the sun came up, or just when the sun was barely, you know, when the birds are starting to sing, I got a whiff of something that just literally almost knocked me off my deer stand. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so bad. I, had a, I remember covering my face to just my eyes peeked up. And then I'm thinking, oh, crap. Something is making this smell. And then I remembered reading probably a newspaper article about a skunk ape. And I thought, okay, I'm going to 
to load one in the chamber. <laughs> so I load one in the chamber, and the smell finally went away. But before it went away, there was chest beating that I heard. And I knew grouse, you know, I know this, the sound grouse can do. Right. No, this was loud chest beating. And that kind of topped it off. And so I sat in that deer stand all day, completely bored with deer hunting. I just wanted to tell somebody what had happened to me. So I go to, we were going to meet at noon. We all go to this meeting spot. Every single person in the camp had the identical story. Really? So it visited everybody. It went from deer stand to deer stand, stunk them out, did a chest beat, and then left. Interesting. That was my first, you know, certainly quasi Bigfoot experience. Right. We don't know. Something could out have of been the norm. I mean, it sounds like you, you, you know, listed off everything that it could have been, but wasn't. Well, so yeah, black bears don't beat their chest. Um, you know, you can go through all the animals, and then you add the the smell, the chest beating, and and whatever, and then the fact that it visited every single person. That's definitely was really in fact. It was like a week ago. I hadn't talked to my cousin in years. And he goes, remember that time we were deer hunting? <laughs> that was really cool. So anyhow, so flash forward, I was, um, uh, I'd been doing uh, a wildlife TV show. And I was on a trip up to a lake called Selwyn Lake. And I'd had this theory because of a big giant trout I had seen that was probably six foot long, a lake trout. And it was in the Windy River. I was reeling in about a 30-pound lake trout. And here come the six-foot lake trout. I mean, right out of a storybook. Uh-huh. Slowly swimming, you know, just slow motion like this behind it. And we had um, two other guys in the boat, and they all saw it. And I asked this guy that, we were, that I was with, I was like, did you see that? And he said, oh, yeah, once in a while, we just like real casual. Once in a while, we see those, but you can't catch them. Because they're just too big. They'll never catch your bait or, right. you know, they're just too big. So I just, I had this theory that um, maybe it's a, a female egg trout that that um, doesn't ever lay eggs. Right. Just to reabsorbs them and just stays there and just becomes a cannibal and just eats other lake trout. After all, that's what it was chasing. Right. My big lake trout that was, you know, we're talking like this, it was trying to catch. Okay. So I called a biologist. My curiosity got the best of me. I called a biologist, and he agreed to go up to the Arctic in search of these giant lake trout. And so I was up with um, this uh, uh, fisheries biologist, and he had, he had agreed that there were, there were trout that big. And so he wanted to get footage, and I had some ideas on how to get more footage of one of these giant, giant lake trout. Well, we had to go to the bathroom, Lauren. And it was so rough out in this big giant lake that we decided to go to shore. And so we pulled up on this sandbar on this island and we got out of the boat and right away I noticed these huge footprints that came right out of the water. You know, they were human-like uh-huh. footprints. I mean, we were dropped off by float plane up there. You know, this is a um, very high Arctic type lake. Everybody looks at a map, Selwyn Lake in Northwest Territories. Anyhow, make a long story short, we followed the footprints up, and then we came to a, a tree. There was a seven-foot-tall stunted spruce tree because we're right on the tree line mm-hmm. where trees no longer grow because it's too cold. 
So the first thing I noticed, there was a footprint right in front of the trunk. And then there was one right directly on the other side of the tree. Really? So either we're experiencing quantum physics here, <laughs> or it just stepped over the tree. You know, it can't be two places at once. And I looked at the tree and I went, oh, my God, that's seven and a half foot tall tree, which isn't a big tree. But I couldn't, you know, possibly even attempt to walk over it. So this thing walked over that tree like a weed. Right. We kept following the prints. And remember, like I said, these were clear. And then they went into the moss. And we got on the other side of this tiny forest. And there were the footprints going off into the horizon, as far as my eye could see. A straight line, just off. So we went back to the float plane operator and asked him if he'd go up. Yes. Told him, told him the whole story. And he thought we were playing a joke on him. Of course. He got really angry. His face turned red. He threw his clipboard. And he was not about to be talked into going on that, you know, on the thing and, and thinking everybody's in on this joke but him. And that wasn't the case. Because yeah. my idea was, since there's no trees, you could follow it. Yeah. Find it. Right to the end. There it is. There it would be. Right. That was my goal. And so I have a big regret not going back and back and trying to get his attention and, yeah. you know, swearing on the life of my kids or whatever it would right. take. Right. You know, this is not a joke. Right. And it, that's, so that was my, that was the turning point for me mm-hmm. to go. Monsters are real. <laughs> yes. Time to do something about it. Right. And so I just kind of dropped all my wildlife research at that point and um, got a hold of uh, Matt Moneymaker. Mm-hmm. Matt's like, oh, yeah, yeah, these things are everywhere. Yes. You know, you know I mean, at wherever there's woods, water, and hills, right. whether it's up in the Arctic or it's down here or California or New York. And I went, you're kidding me. And that's that. That was kind of my first call, and uh, I talked to Peter Byrne, um, and he he kind of was you know yeah there was there were sightings up in the Arctic like that you know at one time back in the eighteen hundreds or, mm-hmm. and but you know it was soon me and Matt became friends and of course my goal was to do legend meet science, right? Which that was done, my first call. Which you've done, yep. which was it? It's still one of my favorites. Um, I mean, whenever I refer people to this, I refer them to that um, as their kind of intro into the right. uh, Bigfoot world. Because it's 20 years old now. I know. I always tell them, I'm like, it's a little bit dated now. I said, but um, most of the science. A little bit. I mean, uh, I know, but all of the it's science really still stands. Weird, it is, but, um, you know, the science still stands on it. And yeah. honestly, you know, um, I feel yeah. like it's just a really good basis for entering the Bigfoot world, entering Bigfoot research. It's a good starting off point for sure. It's like intro to Bigfooting 101. That should be played, you know? Um, Well, I got got a kick out of it because I found all these colleges were using that show to teach forensics. Really? And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Oh, that is awesome. That is an awesome, I mean, man, there's no better compliment than that, really. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was a lot of, there were colleges all over that were using it just to teach forensics because it is kind of a, I mean, the documentary is not complicated. It just goes through all of these pieces of evidence. And I required the scientists give me a definite yes or no. Right. None of this, you know, none of this wishy-washy. Right. And they did. They had to say, 
in there, yeah. they did say, they said, you know, um, we have this and this, however, uh, mm -hmm. we cannot, you know, be conclusive on that. So, I mean, you did great pulling those answers out of them. And I just, I really love how it was all put together and the recreations and everything. That was um, my favorite part or just not my favorite part. I'm sorry. That's just one of my favorites. Um, so, you know, I watched the monster quest and I watched that. And like I said, that one's a good starting off point for anybody trying to get into this. Yeah, it is. Probably it is. But I'm hoping the new one is going to take over this leaves off. And I'm <clears throat> hoping that it raises the bar much higher okay. than that one ever did. All right. Well, we can go ahead and go into that if you want, because I am I am waiting on pins and needles over here to hear about it. Okay. <clears throat> First thing I want to say that there's not one piece of evidence that I have in my hand that I personally collected. All of them is just me you know, working with other researchers, researchers, keeping the channels open, like with Michael. Um, let's talk about that first. <laughs> um, for years, I've been seeing face prints, fingerprints. People have called and said, oh, something left dusty fingerprints on my car door, mm -hmm. on my window. And it really was only like five, six weeks ago. I went, that's what I always thought they were too, dusty fingerprints. Right. And all of a sudden, I go back and I go into my computer and I start looking at all these old photos of, you know, fingerprints, handprints, including some face prints, some other face prints. And it hit me. That's not dust that they're leaving behind. Mm -hmm. That's some substance. They're sebum, they're skin oil. But it seems to be much thicker than ours. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, Michael had heard me talking about this on uh, Bobo and Cliff show, their mm -hmm. podcast, Bigfoot and Beyond. And he had just seen a face print that was white. Right. It's a very whitish look. And it does look like they had clay powder or plaster of Paris powder, but it's not. It's actually an oil or a waxy oil. And so he called me up and it fit, you know, he sent me photos. He was excited. And yep, it fit the, the same exact MO, you know, with the whiteness. And it was really amazing. And so um, Michael and Shelly Covington, Montana went and they collected the window and then collected the first DNA because there's going to be skin cells in this. And they collected the substance because what I want to do in Legend Meet Science 2 mm -hmm. is to figure out what chemical compounds make up the skin oil compared to ours. Mm -hmm. You know, it may be skin oil they're rubbing into their, you know, their hands on their fur right. or their hair. It may be something they're secreting. It could be food. That's something they're eating that's causing this. Mm -hmm. We don't know. But what we do know is in the research that I've found, like between skin oil between humans and gorillas, right. we have what, the, what, we, what they call an SQ uh, molecule, SQ molecule mm -hmm. in our skin oil, 60 different wax compounds in our skin oil, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. But primates don't have the SQ molecule. Really? Because they have, they have hair to protect them from UV light. Right. The SQ molecule... Um, apparently helps us deflect UV light, protect our skin, and they have none of it. 
which is really interesting. That is interesting. So that's just one of the idea. One of the thing. I don't want to give away too much, but that's <laughs> one of the things that we're going to be looking for. Is does it have this SQ molecule? Because this is a compound. I think that we can get 10, 15 samples from coast to coast from all sorts of researchers. Mm -hmm. I bet you you've seen handprints, Lauren. Yes. Yes. Yep, and they're white, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I've seen handprints, dusty handprints. Um, yes, dusty. Yes. Hands. Yes, I always thought it was maybe you know um, dried skin cells or something like that. Yeah. Um, right. But I guess you it know, could be. It, it's possible that they're shedding tons of skin cells, right. which would also make DNA collection really cool and really easy. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, so speaking of DNA collection, you know, you said that they did collect the DNA yes. um, from that, and it was sent off, correct? Yes. Um, no, it has not been sent off. It's been collected. Okay. I need to wait because each sample is going to cost me about $5,000 to do. Mm -hmm. I've got a whole bunch of them I want to run. Right. But here's the exciting thing about DNA today. I'm working with labs. I've already acquainted with the, you know, the people who manage the labs, own the labs. Mm -hmm. We can now collect 3 billion base pairs off a non-degraded one cell, right. one cell. And, you know, that would have cost $100,000 five years ago. So now it's 5000 yeah, that's and a, lot a lot of the money is, is needed for the database, you know, to, you can't just collect the DNA, you got to do something with it. You have to analyze it. Absolutely. You have to uh, pick it apart in little pieces and you have to analyze it. You have to see what drops to the bottom. You know, what doesn't match animals? What doesn't match people? And we'll compare it, of course, to the, the entire world database of people to look for any descendants. We'll be able to note diseases that it's prone to. That's insane. We'll be able to note hair color, right. eye color, mm -hmm. height within an inch. Mm -hmm. So now, if, if, if they, let's just say they are human or human-like, we can now at least find other differences in physical properties. Right. You know, we can say... Dang, it's that's uh, eight foot one mm -hmm. because it's off the charts of every human ever tested. Right. Yeah. So there's so with artificial intelligence and DNA now we can get a lot more information. Right. It's a game changer. Yeah, big yeah, time. For sure. Well worth big. the money. So thank you for yeah. you know <laughs> for that. Um so and the so we had the face print. Um, what did you think about the encounter story that went with it? I thought it was amazing. Um, Michael did a really, I mean, he did a really cool job. Mm -hmm. So not only do we have the face print, we have the story from the, the witnesses. I believe they videotaped, they did. you know, their story. I mean, these are people that just moved into an area, like a lot of us are doing, into a, you know, more rural area. Mm -hmm. I guess there were forests. Um, that they actually had to clear to build the home. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and I don't know if you want to tell the story, if you want me to. Uh, you go ahead. Um, but apparently he went out to his car to get something. Mm -hmm. And he thought his wife had left a shopping bag on the roof of an SUV. Because mm -hmm. apparently they have a shopping bag that's black. Yes. <laughs> cloth. And all of a sudden the shopping bag came around the car. Yes. And he literally thought he was about to be carjacked mm -hmm. at that point and took steps to defend himself. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know all that went down. I probably don't want to get into all that. But I do know that 
um, just a day later, this thing was apparently trying to look in their window mm-hmm. and, and left a clear, very clear face print mm-hmm. on the glass. And so not only do we have, I've got numerous face prints to start doing 3D rendering because mm-hmm. we really want to bring those back into a 3D world again. Yeah. Um, but Shelly and, and Michael were able to collect not only the lift the print off the glass, using a, a new technique that Shelly actually had developed. She's got a powder that actually sticks to skin oil mm-hmm. better than maybe fingerprint dust. Right. And so they lifted the print with a big um, piece of adhesive, yes. you know, laminate. And um, apparently it's pretty, pretty, pretty exciting. And then, of course, collected the material, which Shelly um, came up with a name called Alba Vernix, Sasquatch Alba Vernix, mm-hmm. and, and SAV for short. And that was the name that she came up with. And I'm really hoping that that catches on. Yes. And more people start talking about it yes. because they can start going, oh, look at this. Yes. Look at, look at the, the, the handprint on our glass. It's white. Right. And it renders some more credibility to these prints, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so the face print, because I saw it in person and um, you, everyone. You were there, Lauren. I didn't know that. I was not there when they took it from the home. I was at the at the Bigfoot conference. They oh, had the plate oh, glass. Oh, you watched them. Okay. So gotcha. I did get to see it. And I will say what's interesting about this and what people, you know, at the conference, I don't think that they quite um, understood was that, you know, they were shining a light on it and you could go look at it and you couldn't see it very well. Well, um, you know, if I touch a window with my fingerprint, you can't see that very well. But once they lifted it, this is what I wanted to tell everyone is once they lifted it onto that laminate, you could see, clearly see much clearly, much more clearly than the picture of the face print, much more clearly than the face print on the glass. You could see the the outline of the nostrils. You could see the face um, when they lifted it. And so, you know, maybe I I think they got pictures of that and I'm not Mm -hmm. sure, you know, if they were going to post them or anything like that, but, um, well, even, even the pores were present, the pores, some of the hair, very interesting. It was, it was fascinating once they lifted it, how much, how much more you could see the detail. And, and like you said, you could do a recreation. Well, you know, it's kind of important on, this motivated, motivated Shelly to come up with a kit mm-hmm. specifically to lift this vernix up yes. to collect the DNA. And I really, I'm, I'm excited about this. Here's why. A scientist is going to get more excited about a chemical compound in DNA mm-hmm. than a photo or a video, oh, believe it or not. Absolutely. Because you can't, you can't duplicate thousands of molecules. And so if a scientist gets interested in this, then they can collect samples from coast to coast, mm-hmm. which we know they like to touch things. Yes. That we do know. They do, yeah. I mean, this is, it's almost, it's one thing you can almost guarantee if you go on an expedition, if you have activity, is that they will handle something in that camp. They will mess with your car. They seem to be real interested in cars and in glass and windows. Um and uh, so it's it's something that can offer scientists repeatability where video and film will not. Yes. That's why I'm excited. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, everybody says without a body, this will always be a mystery. Um, nope. This is a stepping stone to that. You know, this yeah. could this could be a way to do this without a body. Um, there will still you be know, a mystery. It is so part of their body. Right. Yes. Yeah. This is so a I, way to do that. I'm praying that there's some kind of unique wax. Yes. There's some type of a unique compound or acidity. Like, for instance, a lot of people don't realize, did you know our skin oil is six times more acidic than vinegar? Really? What if theirs is 12 times more acidic? Right. Or what if it's not acidic? Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I'm hoping, I'm just hoping there's great differences. Right. I can, I, all I can think about is, you know, um, from a natural standpoint um, or adaptability standpoint, why they would need such thick skin oil. And it's because they're out in the elements, you know, they're, um, I know you said that, you know, primates don't have the SQ gene, but what if this comes back and they do? And because, you know, they do have the fur um, and the fur, you know, doesn't reflect light and, or it does reflect light. Um, But the skin, if their skin is just right there in the sun and, and if it's on their hands anywhere where they don't have fur or hair, um, to me, it's just, you know, adaptability. If, if people go back and start reading reports, one of, the, one of the factors that I hear, I've heard over and over and over, is it was really shiny. The fur was that. shiny. I have heard that. A lot of sightings, especially yeah. uh, full moon sightings, um, that's what caught their eye was the full moon right. off the hair. Yes. Yep, the hair is shiny. Well, that would indicate a high oil content. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be for waterproofing. Um, we just don't know. For for instance, it could be artificial. I mean, it could be something they're collecting in the forest. Mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody who said, maybe it's pine pitch. Pine pitch does turn white once it oxidizes. Right. But I don't believe it. Would. I couldn't imagine anything walking around with that sticky. On your <laughs> face. Pine yeah. pitch on your hands. It's tough to get off. Right. I, I just, you know, my, my, and again, we don't know, but my gut feeling would be, you know, protection from the sun, the elements, bugs. Yep. Water. Yes. Wood tick repellent, mm-hmm. mosquito repellent. Yes. Um, I couldn't imagine. I mean, there's times here in Minnesota. We'll go. I don't know how bad it is in Oklahoma compared to here, but we'll go out and you're just covered with these seed ticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're okay. just, you're, they're thick. And it's not fun. No, and then mosquitoes for, yeah, for sure. Um, The one thing that bothered me that I don't think I asked anyone, and I am very weird like this, but the face print and the the substance, I wanted to ask someone if they smelled it. Did you hear if anyone smelled it? You know, that shows how sometimes, how dumb I feel sometimes. You just said that, and I'm thinking, yeah, why didn't anybody smell it? I just... You know, I, I want to no, know if um, if it's a, if it's a, a musk that they produce, a pheromone that they produce, or if it, yeah. you know, is pine pitch or, you know, and so that's me. I always, I'm sniffing things and one day it's going to be the death of me, I'm sure. But um, I just, that was, you know, something when you said the pine pitch and then also just a repellent or whatever. I just right. want to know if it had a, if it had a, um, a strong smell or I need to, I need to ask them if they smelled it. That's important. That's vital. Why don't we sniff more things in research? I can can tell you kind of a funny story. Um, I had on my list, it's been on my list for 11 years, collect the smell. Mm -hmm. What is the smell? It smells like rotten meat, burnt rubber, um, 
wet dog, uh, manure, you know, it's got kind of a lot of odors in it. Right. Stays out. It's always been a dream, and, you know, and I thought, well, you know, you could use jars and no, no, no. So we did collect it. And we not only collected, we collected a lot of it, but it all happened by accident. Um, we had a situation, a visitation situation where we were leaving peanut butter mm-hmm. jars sealed. Mm-hmm. And it was taking them, opening the jars every day, scooping out peanut butter and then leaving the jars. But for a while, it was taking the jars. The jars would just disappear. And we would find the, you know, the caps would be laying right there. And then one day, the guy that I'm working with, who is one of the most hardworking people, I mean, he's really curious what's going on in his, at his home up in the forest. Mm-hmm. And he was out and found some peanut butter jars. And he, he always brings a bag with him in case he finds anything interesting. So he collects these peanut butter jars that he found. They were completely empty. It looked like they had gone through a dishwasher. The labels were clean. The glue was gone. Mm-hmm. And he put them in a paper bag, and he's walking, or he's going to bring them home just to, you know, throw them in the garbage. Mm-hmm. And he's walking through the forest, and he think he, he's thinking he's getting blasted with the stink. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, my God, this thing is following me. And then it hit him. It's on the jars. Mm-hmm. He calls me up. He's like, Doug, I think we just got the thing on your list. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he wanted really bad. He said, it's so bad. He smelled him. He has about threw up. Oh. So I said, I, you know, I gave him instructions how to get this, these things sealed, yes. frozen, so we don't lose any of the smell. Oh. But the, and so I, I drove up there, and I, I opened this frozen bag to smell it, and about knocked me down. Oh, my gosh. It's bad. Yeah, and it's oh, not. It's Once again, the jars are spotless right so it's not it's not peanut butter that rotted oh, you know I've found, I've found peanut butter jars that were like 50 years old out in the woods right. with peanut butter still in them mm-hmm. and it's fresh still peanut right. butter yes. lasts yeah. forever so it wasn't that oh, well if you think about it you know they are omnivores um more than likely um mm-hmm. and they don't have toothbrushes or floss and i am sure their breath is just absolutely rank. Um, so if you think, because, you know, they tell you to like lick your wrist and sniff it to test your breath or whatever. And maybe that's what we're smelling uh, whenever they're out there. They're not putting off a smell. They're breathing at you. I, well, not only do I think that they put it off from a gland, right. but I think they can do it at will. I'm, I'm almost positive. that as well. We, we did an experiment once, um, actually not very long ago, like three three weeks ago. I took the guy that's got this place that's having these visitations and I asked him, I said, dude, you're a singer. Let's go out in the woods and you're going to sing. And he said, oh, okay, whatever. I never tried that. Yeah. So we got out in the woods and he's singing. And the moment he quit singing, we got blasted. Everybody that we were with got blasted with the stink. Hmm. It was so powerful. I can't even just, I mean, it was, it was bad, Lauren. So we walked a quarter mile away and I said, do it again, Randy. And so he does a song, uh-huh. he quits and we get blasted again. Really? Yeah. That's Don't know what we, so we moved again. Same thing happened. And it was weird because it was very directional. One person would smell it. They'd be like, oh my, you know, and the next person wouldn't. 
Um, and purposely, we stood apart like 20 feet. Um, and so I personally smelt it every single set that we did. I have no explanation. That's interesting. Except, yeah. I have had um, my, actually my mother, uh, her first encounter, her first sighting, um, it had musked the area after she saw it, after she spotlighted it and it had left, it had musked the area, but they could not find a source of the smell. They could not find a wet spot, any, anything that would, uh, they couldn't, they sniffed all around. They couldn't find the source of the smell. I've got one more smell, um, story that happened to me and I was with I was on horseback with two other guys that were on horseback and we were investigating we were on a Bigfoot um, uh, research mission by the St. Croix River and all of a sudden we all smelt this terrible smell that we were out there and we had ridden through there before Mm -hmm. and so we're all covering our faces just you know doing the oh my god and we get up a little farther down the trail. And here's a coyote laying in the trail, but it's alive. It's laying on its side and its eyes are wide open. It's moving its eyes, mm-hmm. but it's completely paralyzed. Like stunned. We dismount the horses. Um, there's no smell at this point. It just went away. Mm-hmm. We dismount and we start examining the coyote. And you can see two handprints. On the, on the fur of the coyote. Right. And you could feel where its spine had been snapped. Okay. Okay. Right. And there's no blood on the coyote. It's obviously wasn't there earlier. It didn't walk there. Right. Did, did, the, did a Bigfoot kill the coyote as a warning to us or as an intimidation? I can't come up with any other explanation. No, you know, I, yeah. it wasn't there earlier. There's a coyote that's paralyzed, that's extremely alive. Right. I mean, this coyote was alert, could not move. That's insane. I mean, that yes. to me, that I would take it as a warning. But yep. yeah, that's I mean, the, the fact we could see the handprints, right? It's pretty right. weird. That is. So, that is. That's yeah. definitely one of the. Um, actually more intimidating and odd um, intimidation stories that I've heard or, or warning stories. Yep. And I filmed everything. I filmed the, right. you know, the reaction of the two cowboys I was with, mm-hmm. um, filmed the coyote, uh-huh. the examination of the coyote. You can see the coyote just extremely alert. And then we had to put the coyote down. Right. Was yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you said the fur was dry. So nothing. Oh, the fur was dry. Yeah. There wasn't a mark on it. His back was just snapped. So that brings me to another thing. Are coyotes working with these creatures? I mean, that's... On some level? That's always been my theory, but I mean, if they're... That doesn't sound like a very nice working relationship. No. (laughs) If you could could picture a coyote sitting next to this thing, Uh it was like, you know, we domesticate our dogs. And then grabbing it and doing what it did to it. Right. Is that possible? It's certainly possible. There was a there was a time, in fact, one of the guys that we were with, I had gone grouse hunting with years ago. We're up in Canada. We were grouse hunting with a bow and arrow. And during the night, I hear this pack of wolves come charging through our camp, one after another, leaping. 
through the camp and you can hear him breathing. And right behind him, I hear, yeah, I feel the ground shaking and I see the, you know, I hear the boom, 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 boom. Right behind him. It was over that quick. Something was following him that weighed quite a bit. So that's, that was, I mean, that's pretty scary, that especially, you know, wolves are kind of an apex predator. So that's, that's yeah. terrifying. <laughs> so let's say they're not working with them. What if they're just following them? Right. right. They don't have to be working with them. Right. Ravens kind of have that relationship with wolves. They, um, the wolves look at the ravens and they get excited from the air because it's like aerial reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. But a raven would have a really hard time opening a wolf carcass. Right. Or opening a deer carcass. Right. And so wolves, you know, the ravens tell the wolves where the deer is in the forest. Mm-hmm. The wolves attack it, kill it, open it up, and the ravens get to feed. And I've witnessed this. Right. And I've witnessed ravens. I've and the wolves always- just back off and let them eat. Right. I've always wondered if uh, coyotes were a cleanup crew because you usually hear, um, you know, coyotes. So you'll hear a howl that doesn't quite sound like a coyote. And then you'll hear the coyotes all, you know, light up in the woods. And so I've always wondered if, you know, Bigfoot had its fill. It lets the coyotes know, hey, food's here. And the coyotes go clean it up. So there's no evidence of Bigfoot teeth or whatever. Or that could be their pay. You know, for helping... Right. You know, locate game. Who knows? I mean, it's just, there's no way to know. But I do know that animals do work together that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell people the story of <clears throat> me working two years to put a camera in a beaver lodge doing wildlife research. Mm-hmm. And after two years, I get this infrared camera in this lodge in this long tube. And all of a sudden I look and there's muskrats in there. And I'm like, well, why are there muskrats in a beaver lodge? And I went, that's weird. Well, maybe there's no maybe there's no beavers that live here. Maybe it's just muskrats in the beaver lodge. All of a sudden, here come these giant beavers come into the lodge. And I'm like, this is going to be interesting. And you can see everything clear. And the muskrats start grooming the beavers. Really? Start grooming their fur. Yep. I, I don't, I just, I guess I would have never realized that they were in a symbiotic relationship. Did Siri as soon as I said grooming their fur, my Siri lit up here. <laughs> what is that about? She knows you're about to Google something. <laughs> um, back to the coyote on the trail. Um, you know, it could be a warning or, you know, maybe that coyote got out of line and it tried to go in on the kill before it was allowed to. And the Bigfoot, you know, I just don't understand why it would put it on a trail instead of just, you know, tossing it off to the side. And, that's and this was like a single track horse trail. If you can picture that, just a thin trail right along the St. Croix River, you know, walking trail, game trail, whatever. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's definitely well, Maybe maybe one of your listeners will come up with a theory. I don't know. Maybe I really maybe so. I did want to add the face print. Um, so Shelly Covington Montana is in the chat, as is Michael Waldy mm-hmm. and Logan Kraft. Um, and uh, Shelly said it did not have a smell. And also Logan oh, chimed in that it had the print had been there for six days before they went to retrieve it before they were called to go retreat it retrieve it mm-hmm. I'm sorry and so um, you know by the time they got there they said it, it there was no smell so okay maybe when it was fresh it had a smell I don't know. or it's once again it's like a gorillas have an African gland mm-hmm. 
just like we do under our armpits. And maybe they have glands other places in their body that they can, you know, literally just um, turn off and on. Squirt, just like bears. Bears can do it. Deer can do it. Skunks, fox, there's a number of animals that can at will, you know, secrete this musk. Then Bigfoot's, it's not a musk. It's like, oh my goodness. It's all like rotten meat. Yeah, it's a it's a pheromone, but yeah, um, yeah I I know quite a few people that have gotten gross, like skunked out by it, basically. I mean, just yeah. and left it left a stink that just would not die; it would not go away, and there was no source to the smell. But every smell has a chemical compound again, mm-hmm. so hopefully we'll be able to get a complete so everybody can know what is in the stink. Right. So I, be really, I mean, I'm excited. Right, absolutely. I'm pay for that in my own, my own yes. pocket. I really yeah. want to know. I think it'll be so worth hard. it. I, I think it'll it'll definitely be worth it, you know, um, especially when you come back and um, on uh, Legend Meets Science 2 and you explain that process and how far you've come from Legend Meets Science 1, how far the technology has come. I was actually talking to Michael about that today, about how, um, you know, so much, uh, so legend meets science, the first version, it, it is extremely dated, but I said, I was telling Michael, I said, it's so frustrating because I feel like we haven't gotten anywhere. We haven't come that far from that. And you know, that's not true. DNA analysis has come, you know, light years and, um, as well as, um, audio our database, um, you know, the programs that we use, we have come far from it, but I just feel like we have all this great new technology and we still don't have it solved the mystery. I'm just very impatient. I've been doing this for 20 years with my mother and I am very impatient. (laughs) I mean, there hasn't been really any new types of evidence. Right. That's where we're stagnant. Right. New, a lot of new videos. There's a few that, excuse me, that stand out that are, you know, could very well be authentic. Um, Certainly not as good as the Patterson footage. Nothing has emerged. Um, I do know that, um, you know, fingerprints have kind of ceased to go any further, the latent fingerprints and the friction ridges. But I I want to take that another step further. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot more that can be done with some of the footprint casts. Including, you know, electro electro um, scan uh, electronics uh, scanning microscopes to look for sweat pores, skin pores, and those types of things. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, I mean, that's a good idea. Um, I mean, there's just a lot we could tell just from that alone. Right. Yeah. If Bigfoot has athlete's foot, I mean, we would we would be the first to know. We have. Hold on, we have some questions from the chat, so I just want to make sure I catch them. Um, okay, so uh, Kite Man, Rocket Kite Man, Kite Squatch, he has been a fan of the show since the last time you were on. Um, he said, is there any new video or audio technologies that you have access to now that you didn't have when you were making Monster Quest? Which? That's not, yes, <clears throat> yes and no, Um Camera traps still continue to frustrate me. Yes. <laughs> As everybody in the entire country. Yes. Yeah. But one thing that has possibly changed is my attitude. I think we all need to contact our game troll camera companies yes. and say, okay, we put the bait out. They filmed me putting it out. 
It filmed the, the deer and the chipmunks and the this and the that. Filmed me coming in to get the SD card. Yes. But who in the hell took the bait? Yes. Yeah. Just gone. Yes. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've talked to uh, Michael about that, but he has, you know, the different IR levels and all of that. And um, he uses a lot of really big words when he explains right. it because that's yeah. his, you know, electronics are his thing. But, um, you know, he called the electronics or the game cam company and he was like, you know, can't he test? He wanted to test the different um, levels. And he said, is this one, can they see it? And they said, no. And he didn't want it to make noise. And, you know, so he went, he ran the gambit of possible things, the smell, the sight, the sound, all of those things. And, um, as far as I know, he still hasn't captured one on his game camera. So he has the top of the line, but it's, it's, they just know. And what I always tell, him especially because he'll go put his in the tree and he's like all right you know look on the app and see if you can see the picture and I'm like I mean I can but you know this is their territory and if you put a game cam on my coffee on my living room table I'm gonna know I was like this is their territory and there's something different there Um, and that's a deterrent you know I've seen a lot of them tripped with sticks someone they'll throw a stick in front of it Um, a lot of them destroyed um, they'll come back and it's destroyed. I mean, the whole thing's down. Um, they just know to avoid it. And, you know, people will be like, well, they're not that intelligent. I'm like, they're smart enough to stay away from humans. I think they're pretty intelligent. One, one of the things that can be done is to make sure you have a SIM card type upgrade to the SIM card. Mm-hmm. Like Michael does, right? He gets the picture on his cell phone. Mm-hmm. Offer to call your game trail camera company and say, can we send these photos to you? <laughs> yeah. In other words, if you get in a situation where something's taking bait on a regular basis, you know, whether you're putting out apples or peanut butter, whatever, if you're in a situation like that, then you can call them and maybe say, why don't you guys look at this and you figure out what's going on here? You know, yeah. bug them. Well, I'll let him know to do that in all his spare yeah, time. Everybody should do that. <laughs> yes. Um, um, Eventually they'll 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 get off and they'll say, Oh, we know what's going on. Maybe so. Jeepers, creepers. Why didn't we talk to them a long time ago? That's a I mean, that's a good valid point, and maybe they'll fix it and give us, yeah. you know, just a little tweak and then we can catch them. Could you imagine if all of a sudden they tweak some turtle mechanism yeah. in their you know in their electronics and then all of a sudden that week we get a hundred game trail oh, pictures from all over the country of Bigfoots. It would be almost anticlimactic because it's just like that's all we had to do this entire time, really. (laughs) How many times have you felt like that in your life? Absolutely. I should have done that a long time ago. That's all I had to do, tweak this one thing. It works perfectly. Um, I was going to say back to the family that had the encounter and the face print. Um, You know, I was chatting with them at the conference and... You know, they're very upset and they're very scared because of this activity, because of the aggressiveness of the activity. And, um, you know, she she was upset and talking about, you know, maybe having to move and all of that. They had already so they had the encounter in February and then, um, you know, then had the face print uh, later on. And so um, what they had done in February after that encounter, they had gone and cleared their land around their house so that it couldn't creep up on them. 
And then now they've had the face print and everything. And so I said, you know, uh, and they already have lights. They already have lights. Because usually my first thing when someone's experiencing activity they don't want, I tell them put lights, motion sensor lights, spotlights, light it up around your house. Um, That's my usual go-to. But then my second one, I said, if you don't want to move because it's a great property, you know, it's a wonderful piece of land, um, try security cameras. I said, they avoid them like the plague. I said, Best case, it leaves you alone. I said, worst case, you get closure because you see what's bothering you and you get a picture and you become a millionaire. So, I mean, <laughs> just win-win there. But yeah. um, they do, they mm-hmm. avoid. And I have had people ask me, you know, well, they can't, they don't know the cameras are there. And I said, yes, they do. I will have people with security cameras on the side of their house and something will move that security camera and turn it around and walk right by it. Yep. Oh, man. I mean, I talk to people all the time that go, oh, I just spent two grand on, you know, security cameras. Once again, something came in the yard, smashed our whatever. Mm-hmm. There's no photos, no video. Camera will shut off just during that little period. I mean, I just, it's it's a very frustrating mess. It really is. I mean, I just call it, it's the biggest argument for the lack of existence of these creatures. Absolutely. Um, all of the digital cameras something's causing it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what to do. I know they're real, mm-hmm. but do I know how to photograph them? Heck no. <laughs> no. Go no. back in time and hitch a ride with Bob Gimlin and yeah. <laughs> Roger Patterson. And just, I mean, that's about the only way that I, at this point, maybe you should just try building a time machine and, and we'll just go that route. And, uh, you know, we can use that going forward. Well, <clears throat> mechanical traps still i mean they they may work but still you're dealing with trip lines Mm -hmm. you're dealing with pressure pads i mean Mm -hmm. there's so many ways to do it but i don't know of any camera you know the old days they had they were not electric the camera traps they were mechanical Mm -hmm. they were spring wind and something would move up you know a a line or a bar or a twig Mm -hmm. and then it would snap so maybe we have to go back to spring line cameras, you know, it's a possibility. I don't know. Maybe I, it's, I, have, I have no more answers than anybody else. None. You know, Zero. if anyone, I think you're. 20 years of failure. Oh, your e-bike. This is where it's at. Okay. This is where it's at. Possibly. That's yeah. Because that's something you can drive around a corner, you know, on a, on a logging road. I mean, there's literally, you know, where I live. You can get on logging roads and they just go for 20, 30, 40 miles. Right. They're not going to, and they're so rough. Mm. They're not going to expect some e-bike. Right. I'm cruising around a corner. Right. You know, and that's kind of the key. The encounter is going to happen at the bottom of a hill and around a corner. Mm-hmm. If you look at all of the, you know, the road crossings, almost all of them happen right after a curve. They're generally not on a straightaway. They're after a curve or there's a downhill and then a curve right. and there'll be crossed in the road right there. Just make sure you have a dash cam or a FLIR or some kind of recording device on your e-bike at all times um, so that we can all see it. Again, we may not be able to prove it, but at least we'll have, you know, um, right. we'll have that video yes. or picture, a good video yeah. or picture, hopefully. Um, you had said that you had had a sighting uh, that way. Yeah, I've had numerous, uh, actually three sightings now, all by just, you know, happenstance, but in Bigfoot territories. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the first one was just driving back through an area near Mille Lacs Lake, which is one of the biggest lakes in Minnesota. So can't even see across it. Driving back in late at night, and here was this thing. And it was basically had its arms out, was doing a kind of a hula, hula motion. It was what? as if it was drying off. And you could okay. see the hair oh, okay, okay. hanging off the arms. And I'm looking at this going, is that a, is that a moose, okay. an elk? I mean, what am I looking at? And you get closer. Mm-hmm. And then you see the broad shoulders, and I saw the hair hanging off the arms. And it was doing this repetitive motion over and over again. And I just drive right by, going, what? All of a sudden it hit me. Holy sh, you know. Yeah. Holy X, that was a Bigfoot. <laughs> that's, that motion, that's odd. You call yeah, it a well, I've heard, I've heard that from other people. Not that motion, but other. Right. I talked to, a, um, I don't want to give his name, but I talked to a pretty well-known researcher. He said he saw one doing the airplane thing over and over and over, standing on a trail and once again, it threw him off, too. He was driving through a real jungle the two-track. Uh-huh. And he stopped, and there's this thing right in front of his car doing this airplane motion over and over. And I remember I was with him when it happened. I was behind him, and I remember he leaped out of his car. And he just dove into the forest. That was odd. And I had no idea. I thought maybe he had to go to the bathroom really bad. You know, I mean, that's literally what I thought. And he comes back and he's like, oh, my God, this thing was standing. I first Bigfoot said he was standing right in the middle of the trail, but it was doing this airplane thing over and over and over. I said, I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, I just wonder if yeah. it was drying off or airing out maybe. Or Oh, no. Yeah, because, you know, of course, where I saw it was right at the edge of a road, but there was a stream right where it was standing that empties into Malax Lake. And where the stream had gone through was a huge state forest. So geographically, once again, it made sense. So I think what it did is came out of the mosquito-ridden forest, which was humid and hot, mm-hmm. came and took a bath in the lake or the stream, right. and then was drying off before it went back into the forest. Interesting. That's it. That's just weird. Nothing magical. It just yeah. happened. And yes, I had a witness with me, which is great. That's amazing. You feel like every time you see one, you're like, am I crazy? Right. Right. Oh, definitely. That's, I mean, those are fantastic encounters though. Um, like I told you, my, I would, my perfect first sighting would be, you know, driving and you turn and the headlights sweep and there it is. And then you just go along about your business. I would be completely happy with that, <laughs> but I guess I'll accept right. you know. Well, people ask me, why didn't you turn around? Well, one, I had, cars behind me i mean remember this is a very it's a very small little windy road that goes around this lake on the right side was forest the left was lake Mm -hmm. no shoulder to speak of i'm not going to risk my life to go turn around because i guarantee it would have been gone anyhow right and so you just kind of go enjoy the moment Mm -hmm. got to see it got to see it moving i got to see its fingers got to see how big it was and the moment's gone, and that's it. It's in my head. And yeah. the end of it. That's No footage. And if I would have got footage, what would it prove? Right. That the Monster Quest guy faked some footage. That's how right? it goes. 
you know, I've had, I had someone tell me recently, they, they had gotten into the, into the field, you know, um, a couple years ago. And at that time, someone was like, oh, I have prints, I have, you know, footage, whatever. And, um, this person, they just couldn't believe that they had, you know, all this great evidence. They were like, why don't you share that? And then after being, um, in the Bigfoot community for two years, they quickly realized why you don't share stuff like that. And I think it holds us all back. But, um, okay. So I wanted to ask about, um, back to monster quest, uh, Snell Grove Lake. So there was an incident. If you could tell me about the incident and then tell me maybe what wasn't in the show. Oh my goodness. Um, a long, it's a long story that you can't really make too short. So I was doing a wildlife show and I had gone to this cabin to just film this really cool cabin that had solar power had um running hot water mm-hmm. had a gas stove and it had bunks but it was in the middle of nowhere and had little electrical lights so it was luxury in the wilderness and so i went up to film it and the first time i went up there the the gentleman i was with the host of the show his gallbladder burst and got flown out of there was an emergency. But I told the lodge, you know, two days later, he picked us up. We didn't even know anyone was coming back, but I said, I want to come back here. This is amazing. And that was um, uh, probably, I'm trying to think what year, late 80s, 89. Mm-hmm. And then, so I did. I went back up and I went back up and went back. I just kept going up there. Nothing ever happened until we brought our daughters up. Three of us guys to say, you only have six people at a time. So instead of bringing our sons, we thought we'll bring our daughters up. And my daughter was making monkey sounds. Yeah, she said it helped her catch walleyes. Oh, okay. I don't know where she got that. So yeah, That's plausible, whatever works. Yeah. So we were pulling out of the stream and she was doing these monkey stones. And all of a sudden there was a big wood knock right next to the boat. Mm-hmm. And we were on a creek that was probably, you know, six feet wide pulling, you know, it was all rocky. And it was like a warning to warn somebody or something that we were coming out into the main lake again. Right. So I took note of that because I was, you know, certainly in the Bigfoot, mm-hmm. but I'd never done it up there ever. Right. That was where I went to relax and want any Bigfoot activity. And it's just such a vast wilderness, Lauren. Mm-hmm. So to make a long story short, I decided to just do some wood knocking that night. Um, we did. We had an answer back right near the campfire, like within 20, 30 feet of the campfire. So we did a little rock exchange that lasted for hours. And then... We went into um, uh, the cabin because everybody wanted to go to bed. It's probably like three in the morning. I stayed up and I'm reading a field and stream magazine because I'm just kind of wound up from the activity. Mm, And I'm also kicking myself. God, I never, why didn't I ever do Bigfoot research up here before? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Coast to coast looking for Bigfoots. And here's one in the middle of nowhere. And so I go to bed, but before or I was getting ready for bed, which included me going up to the sink to brush my teeth. I flicked a little light on. There was a fluorescent light above my head. I'm this far from a window. 
faces the forest on the other side of the lake. And I flip it on and all hell broke loose. Really? I mean, it just screaming. Um, stuff started getting thrown at the cabin. It was as if I scared the living daylights out of numerous creatures right. yeah, that were looking in the window. And not only were they screaming, they were throwing things. I heard running on the roof. Oh, my gosh. I look up and the skylight's open. And so there was a big pole you put up and you hooked into the skylight and crank it shut. Oh. That was the first thing on my mind because I'm picturing dropping in. Right. I don't know what's doing this. I'm right. presuming, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. You know, for all I know, those little aliens running around up in the roof. I want to get it closed. <laughs> Right. I get it closed. And while I'm closing it, I can feel the cabin moving back and forth. Oh, my gosh. I'm looking down. I can see the floorboards flexing on the floorboard. And, I mean, the cabin is being rocked back and forth. It's up on blocks. So if two of these things were on both ends, apparently they're really strong. And at that point, I ran into the room of one of the guys and I started beating on him, Vladimir on his back, could not get him to wake up, couldn't get him to move. I don't know if it was because I kept him up so late in the fresh air, you know, all the fresh air. And then I ran into Joe's room and started pounding on him. Same kind of reaction. Just, I remember Joe kind of rolled over, but that was it. And then everything just stopped just as quick as it started. And so that's kind of how it started, Uh you know, and the rest. And then it was, he had, he had the full plane pilot had come to pick us up. And then the, it wasn't the next, I think it was the day after the next, but he came to pick us up and I told him what happened to us. Uh-huh. And he said, well, that's funny. Um, Cause the cabin got destroyed, you know, like the year before. Uh-huh. And I said, well, what do you mean? I said, there's no damage I can see in the cabin. I didn't see anything. And he said, well, we thought a bear had gotten in there because it tore the cabinets off. It, you know, flipped everything open, broke everything inside the cabin, bent the pipes in the sink even, mm-hmm. um, went into the shed, flipped a big, huge, I mean, we're talking a monster gas tank upside down, mm-hmm. weigh about 1,200 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, damaged a bed, and he told me he had insurance video that he had mm-hmm. taken. I'm like, I need to see that. Yeah. So I told him, there's not one tooth mark. There's no claw marks. Right. It certainly wasn't a bear that broke into your cabin. Yeah. I said, Chuck, I've been going up here, you know, almost 30 years, and I don't see any scratches, no claw marks. I mean, everything was just, he had put everything back. I mean, it tore shelves off the wall mm-hmm. that were, you know, screwed. you got to have hands to do that. Yes, yeah. The windows weren't broken, which I found fascinating. If it was within kids, right. the first thing kids do is Chuck rocks through the windows. Yeah, the windows weren't even broken. Um, there was debris on the ground that was deep. You can see it in the video. Yeah. And so that started, the, that was where I got the idea once again, because he said, oh, we put a nail board out and something stepped on this nail board. It was a screw board. Right. And I looked at him and I said, there's no bears going to step on a screw board. It's just a deterrent so they don't step on it to come right you know, to break into your cabin. Mm -hmm. It's kind of common up there, but a bear would never, I can assure everybody, a bear would never step on a screwboard. You know, they're very gingerly. They're going to step and feel and every foot 
something came around the corner, I think, and, and didn't step on it because there was flesh and blood and fat tissue on the board. So I just said, Chuck, let's put it in the shed. I'm going to come back up. And that was the Monster Quest episode. Oh, my gosh. It's insane. Well, that's what led up to it. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, because in the Monster Quest episode, you know, you, you did cover a lot of that. I think you you told the story differently in the episode, which I understand why. But, um, I mean, you told it from the perspective of differently. It wasn't, right. you know, you. Yep. Um, but in the insurance video, you, you know, he had mentioned that the door was closed to the bathroom. Yes. And so he thought everything was good. And he opened it up and the sink had been thrown or like removed Pushed and thrown down, yep. down and all that. And the, then the door was shut again. Yes. And to me, I, uh, I'm not a bear expert, no. but I would just say that a bear would not shut the door it's behind not. it kindly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that was, like I said, it was very siege of Hanobi ish almost, you know, just, and I just can't believe that, that that they would rent that out, knowing that people, you know, I mean, I guess. Maybe it had never happened to anybody. You know, I mean, we, we were the first people to probably ever wood knock up there. Mm -hmm. And to me, the wood knocks kind of let you know it was effective. Right. Yeah, definitely. You know, the fact that we heard a wood knock, they did it first. Yes. It wasn't us. I would have never done it if I wouldn't have heard that wood knock. And um, I'm like, oh, it's wood knock tonight. <laughs> I mean, I think it's awesome that you were already aware. I'm sorry that happened because it was terrifying, but I think it's great that you yeah. were already aware and uh, um, you were able to kind of know what was going on maybe. Yeah. Um, definitely the, the skylight part. I mean, that would have, yeah. I would have been terrified. I would have been terrified well, altogether. Well, then when we went back up, I brought my son, uh, Meldrum went. Um, what else went on that? Kurt Nelson, the DNA guy, and we wanted to get that nail board and, you know, get yeah. samples collected. Okay. If we would have had like Shelly's kits, her yes. DNA kits, would have been perfect. We didn't. I wouldn't even had to come up maybe. Could have had them tested first. Right. But we had no way to collect DNA, and so we just put it in the shed. And then um, Meldrum and Kurt did. You can see them scraping chunks of fat tissue, and I'm praying that they still I still have I have a call in mm -hmm. to Jeff right now. I'm hoping somebody still has some of that fat tissue stored. Yeah, hopefully. All you know, and I also little... calling to Kurt. I have not talked to either one of them. Years. You know, they're mm -hmm. they're busy people apparently. <laughs> Do they not know how vital this is? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just want to get another I want to get it to a DNA lab that can, you know, see if to get far more um, genomic information. You know, right? Absolutely. So, I, so anyhow, when I brought my son up, he was really skeptical. He was like, "Yeah, right." It got so bad, even when he was there, that he started going into sh literally shock. I was actually concerned for him. Right. He was. He had turned white. He was shaking uncontrollably. This was after the cabin had been um, attacked while we were in there. With um, it threw like a huge piece of cordwood, mm -hmm. but it threw it with such force. That the whole cabin just reverberated, just oh boom, you know. Yeah. When that happens in the middle of the night when you're not expecting it, and he was, you know, he's pretty young. I think he was, you know, 14. Right. He literally got out of his bed, crawled under with his spider webs, fixed, went right under those spider webs, and laid under there and shook, oh you know, 
get away thinking he was about to have his, you know, arms ripped off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's terrifying. And, um, back, back to the original incident, that's what I was going to say was, do you think, because, you know, you had mentioned infrasound in one of the monster quest episodes and I was so thankful that you did because, you know, I do believe in it and I have been hit with it. Um, do you think that, that they had been infrasounded or do you think they were just really exhausted? It's possible. I don't know what effects it would have on somebody other than giving them anxiety. I know, Well, I've had it hit me and I've been full of anxiety. I mean, because I, I, I'll be honest, I do have anxiety attacks and I do know what that feels like, a pressure on your chest and, you know, can't catch your breath and everything like that. And um, so I've been hit with it when it felt like anxiety, but I have also been hit with it to where one minute I was terrified and I was like, mama, mama, can we go? Mom, mom, can we go? Mom, can we leave? Can we leave? And I mean, I was just adamant. I was scared. Let's go. And then in the next minute, it's like I melted into my seat. I was just relaxed and lethargic. And she said, do you still want to leave? And I was like, no, it's okay. You know, just, let's just stay here. And I mean, and I've had other people that have been hit that way too, to where they just get very sleepy, um, do you know you must know david ellis i i know of him yes okay my son recorded some really interesting um they had a lot of it bigfoot activity they were in their tent they had an h everybody take note of this because they had an h h1 zoom Mm -hmm. recorder Mm -hmm. with a what they call a dead cat microphone cover on it which is a fur cover cover on it just a windsock basically artificial fur they had that away from the tent. They had a wires running in with a splitter so they could both have headphones on, lay in the tent and hear the activity. They had a ton of activity, a lot of rock throwing, boulders being thrown near the tent that were landing. Mm-hmm. And this was in the Boundary Waters canoe area, really remote area. Anyhow, they recorded this on two nights. The second night, um, was even worse. I mean, actually felt like their life was in danger. But what's interesting, when I got back and I wanted to hear the tapes, I'm hearing what sounded to me like a heart beating. So I'm listening to the negative spaces in the tape, which I think I would love to put a call out for more people to listen to their negative spaces. In other words, I'm not saying if if a Bigfoot is far away, but if, if one is close... And you know it's close to your recorder. There's where you want to put headphones on, get it really quiet, and try to hear, see if you're hearing anything that sounds like heartbeat. So you just made a point Mm -hmm. that I'd never heard before, tiredness. So David's theory, because this, oh, let me backtrack. So I call Blaine. I go, what's with this heartbeat sound? He goes, yeah, I kind of heard that too. And I thought it was maybe just my recorder making that sound. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I'm actually have my heart is racing a little bit right now. I know I got a supposedly a really good heart. It doesn't vary at all. Even when I get kind of excited, you know, what if I'm out bike riding, it just kind of stays. And I noticed my heart rate going up. And I called him and I said, we need to have like Bill Munns look at this. We need to have Adam Colt look at it. And there were some other engineers. I hadn't met David yet. And um, somebody suggested we get these to David. The bottom line is 
there's these um, spectrographs that show a beat at 102 beats a minute, mm -hmm. which would be an, like an elevated heart rate. He said, this may be what they're doing, is they're projecting a sound that sinks your heart to the sound. Yeah. Well, if they could raise it, why couldn't they lower, lower it? it? Absolutely. And make I you relaxed. I mean, yeah, definitely put their prey, um, you know, fight or flight. They could just put their play, their prey, relax their prey, walk up, pick up a deer right. and walk off with it. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I know that other animals do that. Other animals have that ability. It's a scientific fact, which is what I like to tell people when they say that infrasound is woo. I said, no, infrasound is a legitimate thing that happens right. in nature. Well, you can see it on a spectrogram. Mm -hmm. What's really weird about it is he was saying it goes from almost zero up into the into the spectrum where you can hear it. Mm -hmm. So it gets into the infrasound range, but it also gets out of the infrasound range. And I would imagine you'd have to be really close to the creature to hear it in the, you know, the audio part of it. But the fact that whatever it was was right in their camp right. and was so close that they recorded this. Yes. And obviously a lot more work has to go on that because – you know, we've tested the, the uh, recorder. It's not that. We, David agrees it's not mechanical mm -hmm. because it varies a little bit. Like right before it'll throw a stone, all of a sudden the heartbeat thing will change a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we don't know what it is. But, yeah, this could be the elusive infrasound. Right. I mean, but once again, it's not something anybody's going to notice. Mm -hmm. So they need to start examining their old audio tapes. Yeah, exactly. Once again, if tons of us have it, because yes. they just ignored it, that, oh, that's my heart. Right. Or, or it's just it's, some somebody's playing drums in the background. It's the wind. It's, you know, it's um, the it, recorder. It, I bet, I, I'm sure everybody thought it was a recorder. But it, would you say it was like um, like a heartbeat, but like a whoop, 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 that kind of? No, more of a, like, have you heard of a very distant, um, like a native drum? Okay. Right. Okay. In the Brownie waters, I mean, there's, it's even a no fly zone as far as I know. Mm -hmm. There's no mechanical sounds, you know, there's nothing there that would do such a thing. I would, I would really love to uh, have people go, go look at that. Uh, just go review their audio. And like you said, listen to the negative spaces because, you know, everyone listens to the high points. They're listening for vocals. But... <clears throat> well, listen to the negative spaces near activity right you know right, right within it right. you know that five minutes before the activity right and see if they're hearing this boom boom kind of you know, this pounding yeah. and you have to have headphones you cannot hear it right. with the speaker that's interesting i think headphones. definitely i hope more people do that and i hope they report back and i will no. let you know <laughs> yeah, right. that's definitely interesting yeah the infrasound you know it's it's real to me. I have a friend who uh, he could physically feel it. And he said it felt like standing in front of a bass, like a speaker and feeling the bass off of it. And he could Okay, describe it. describe that to me. I mean, it, was it a pounding sound? Uh, it wasn't a sound. It was just no, I mean, a feeling. Um, a was it a thumping, like a heartbeat thumping? Yes. He said it, it was like waves, like standing in front of a big speaker and at a concert, and you're feeling the bass hitting your chest, and he could feel what, it. At what rate? Did, did you remember what rate it was, Lauren? Um, I think he just said it, said it was a, a steady, um, 
you know, just a steady pump, 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 pump on him. It was, he said it, he said beating. That's the word he used. He said it was, it was beating against his chest. And I was standing right next to him. And at that time, I did not know that he could feel it too. And I had told him, I feel something. I didn't say what, because normally people don't want to hear that you can feel infrasound. And I was feeling the pressure, the anxiety on my chest, like something was sitting on my sternum. He was feeling it. And then he said, I'm going to turn around and go sit by that tree and see if we still feel it. And I said, okay. He turns around and stops. And he says, I feel it on my back. It's pulsing on my back now. He did say the word pulsing. Yes, he did. We need to talk to him. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, yeah, I, yeah I can get you in touch with him. He's a very yeah, good friend of ours. Talk to him. Yeah. David needs to talk to him. Yeah. Yep, yeah. David Ellis. Yeah, I've never had anyone uh, tell me. I have had people tell me um, that they, you know, someone was feeling it and someone stepped in front of that person and then they couldn't feel it anymore. So that's how I've decided that it's directional. They can put it on one person or point it at one person. But um, I had never had anyone tell me they could physically feel the beating. I've had people tell me they've been growled at, roared at, whatever, and they could feel the reverberation. I've been growled at. I could feel my chest vibrate from it. But during infrasound, I've never felt a physical. um, It's the first time I've heard that. Uh, me, me as because him, people yeah. well, I might have been blasted by infrasound. I was confused. Yeah, I'm trying to remember when anybody dragged it out of them that it was pulsating. I'd never heard the word pulsating, yeah, and I've talked to tons of witnesses. There was one gentleman I talked to here who I've known for years, woodsman, tracker, big outdoorsman. At one point, he went to go pick up his trail cameras. And somebody found him spinning in circles. He didn't even know his own name. He didn't know where he was. He was just spinning in circles. He was literally rescued out of there. He got away from the area, put his back. He was like, what happened? Didn't even hardly really remember what happened. Just very disoriented. That's interesting. Um, I mean, and like like your friends, I I just really think that, you know, what if they were lulling them to sleep and, and then you go through there and flick on the light and, you know. Yeah. yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. They definitely have a temper. Yes. Yeah. That I got to witness. I mean, it was like that. Right. Uh, especially when they're startled. I would imagine it's it's all about control. You know, they're, if yeah. they lose control, it's it's right. not good for their situation, especially being in hiding. Yeah. Well, I think I just, you know, from the darkness, because it was just a candle. I was reading light by and I go over and I standing under this fluorescent light. Yeah. And, you know, I've got gray hair, white hair, and it just probably scared the living daylights yeah. out of them. They didn't think you, well, I don't know. I mean, they just what it sounded like, look. like a juvenile had jumped on the roof uh-huh. is what it sounded like to me. You know, when I'm thinking about how do we explain the running? Right. It wasn't a big, full-grown creature. It wasn't a huge creature. But you could hear, and it sounded like the other ones were yelling and screaming, like communicating back and forth. So just one of the, you know, spaghetti theory. Right. Did it? Did their young one leap up on the roof and they were just trying to get it down? <laughs> they were backing the cabin. They were panicked. You follow me? Yeah, or maybe... Possible. It could have yep. been just juveniles just messing with you guys and been that, yep. um, you know, and that yep. maybe yep. mama and daddy showed up and they were like, get down, get down. Yeah, exactly. 
It sounded like chimps, like like chimps. That's what I was going to ask: is what the what did the what vocalization like, sound like? But screaming much louder and much more angry, and you know, it's just it was insane. Was it high pitched or was it like a guttural? I would scream? say it just sounded like if you took a chimp and made a chimp weigh five hundred pounds, you just kind of blew it up a little lower pitch. Right. But still, it hit the high notes because we heard it the next day too when we were we were out. We have to burn the uh, perishables in the fire pit, and so we were out burning the perishables. And me and Joe hear this chimp like fighting across the bay. I said, that's so similar to what I heard last night. And you just hear them fighting. And we looked and we saw two dark shadows. Mm-hmm. You know, we could hardly differentiate them from shadows. But two of them right. walked from um, the left to the right on the other side of that bay. But you could hear this chimp-like fighting going on as if, you know, they were fighting. Yeah. Best way to describe it. I think it was definitely interesting that your daughter was making those noises. I just well, wonder if she drew the yeah. attention, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, no. Uh, that was the first thing. Because you got to remember, I got up there many years. Right. And I haven't even slept outside on the, you know, on the dock, pull yeah. the futon out on the dock because it's too hot in the cabin. Right. Um, not ever worried about it. Because it's such a vast wilderness, you never see wildlife. Think, oh, that's where all the wildlife is. Oh, you're going to see moose and caribou, and they're all there. The the right. bears, you know, I've seen kind of like one of everything over the 30 right. years, but it's taken 30 years. Yeah. Most of the time, I'll see one seagull. That's really? it. The only one, not even a, not even a jay, not a crow, not a raven, nothing. That's because it's so remote. Right. It's a huge wilderness. Yeah. There'd be the resident seagull. That's it. I don't see a chipmunk. No bugs except, you know, black flies. Right. I mean, just wildlife up there. There's so much room to spread out. Yep. But probably saying, well, one time I saw a uh, uh, pine marten. One time I saw a moose. Yeah. One time I saw one black bear. In 20 years, it's not much. No, it's really not, especially with how often you were out there. And, yep. you know, that's really interesting. Um. I did have one more question from the chat, which I'm going to have to go find. Hold on. Um, Jordan Warner. So Jordan Warner is a a director as well. Um, He does amazing films. And so from that aspect, you know, that's uh, your, he's a huge fan of yours. And he wanted to know, um, he said, hey, Doug, good to hear from you. He said, what is your opinion on current crypto programming slash documentaries after Monster Quest? Has it helped or overly saturated the integrity of the subject? Mm. <clears throat> I think a little both. Um, to me, they all do one thing that's really good. And you cannot, you could never put it down. They all have witnesses. Mm-hmm. The eyewitnesses, as much as it's anecdotal, to me, half the population listens to five people in a row tell their story mm-hmm. and they're convinced. I take a lot of stock with eyewitness reports. I personally do. Um, so I'd say more, I'd say definitely more good. Yep. Okay, good. Yeah, I know that, you know, it's done a lot of good for the topic in total. You know, um, 
you used to not be able to talk about this around the water cooler without being laughed out of the office. And now I have more and more people coming up and talking to me about it, you know, feeling comfortable to tell me they saw something or heard whatever their cousin's mother saw a Bigfoot, you know? So it, it definitely has gotten the, um, gotten the topic out there, you know? Um, it's good. I think anytime you get people talking, I think it's a good thing. It was a good question, Jordan. And hello, Jordan. <laughs> um, we did have another question. Uh, Trip Smith wants to know: Do you sell your e-bikes? Is there a link? And not yet. No, I've built a lot of them, and I, I have sold some after I'm like, okay, I'm done with that model now. Yeah. <laughs> I want to build something better, faster, something with more juice. But I'm happy um, to provide you know some links for people can build. They, they can build their own, and you're I think better off building your own. Because you can make the batteries last longer, twice. Mm-hmm. You can get more more wattage on the motor, and the kits are not that hard to put on. Mm-hmm. They're really not. But the key the key is to know what to do. Right. I could provide you links. Okay. Yes, and then I'll post them. And then you can just anybody request you can forward them the links. Okay. All right. That sounds. It's good. really something anybody with just minimal mechanical skills can do if they have tools. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you can build you can build the ultimate e-bike for fifteen hundred dollars okay that's not too bad i can see why you and michael are such close associates y'all both are yeah we gotta get michael into one. Oh my gosh please that is my life goal now is to see michael on a bike like, yeah yeah it's um, not a bike it's not, not a bike an e-bike i'm sorry yes you are correct with with big tires yes huge tire yep Alter, electric all-terrain vehicle. Yes. I mean, they are amazing. I guarantee, if you rode one, Lauren, that'd be the end of it. Oh, probably you'd so. Have have, you'd probably have to have so. one. I would never, you know, that would definitely beat, you know, hiking into an area when I could just well, put my bag Here's why they're so on. amazing. I'll talk more on it because you can lift it over a log. You can't do that with a dirt bike. You cannot. You can't do that with an ATV. You got to go around with my bikes. So lift them up, set them on the other side of the log. I'm on my way again. Yes. That's, you know, if you, if you have something you need to do, you can put these things under your arm. Mm -hmm. You can carry them up a mountain. Yeah. I watched my son literally carry one up a mountain the other day. We went on a long ride. um, And he grabbed the thing and just carried it on up. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I mean, you could get back into some really good places with it for sure. So you can get into places other vehicles cannot get. Right. Yep. Like wildlife management areas, you guys, where yep. it says no uh, no vehicles beyond this point. That does not count. Bikes do not bike, count. Yeah, doesn't count. I hope they don't reverse that law. But right now, yeah, apparently anywhere in either national parks, state parks, right. you can ride a bike. You can bring an e-bike. That's pretty awesome. I think you're really onto something, and I cannot wait to see what you do with it. Yeah. Um, on that note, so you have your e-bikes, you have a uh, legend meet science part two. Do you have any other upcoming projects? I do, but they're non, they're non Bigfoot related, but they're, they're related on geno- genomics. Right. I'm really interested in genomics okay. in all of the advances and the advances are actually mind blowing. Mm-hmm. So part of me is applying some of that knowledge and my connections to the DNA of Bigfoot and part of it's just, you know, going ahead and 
working on another television project because I'm just interested. Right. Oh, the you know, curiosity. All the stuff that, that, that could be done now. It's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. I, really I mean, For instance, they're solving cold cases. Mm-hmm. 50-year cold cases from one skin cell. Right. It's been stored, as long as it's dry, it's been stored in a dark mm-hmm. dark area, and it's been dry all these years. Right. Where did it go? That's amazing. And years ago, they would have, they would have had to uh, pretty much pass on that. Yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, um, to hear about some of the cold cases that are getting solved with the new genomic technology, it's amazing. Absolutely. And not only are they solving the crime, they're going, oh, this is the address of this person because we found their cousins. Yes. They did yes. a 23 and Me or whatever, a family yes. history test. Yes. And then they go to them and then they locate the... You know, is there somebody in your family that might be a little bit different? Yes. <laughs> they yes. may have killed someone, you know. Yeah. And they're, they're making arrests. It's really amazing. They are. It is amazing. I just, I hope, I would hope that not too many samples have been thrown out or destroyed because they weren't viable back then, but are viable now. And even if people have like DNA and they've collected hairs, yeah. it's just so important they storm in a dry, dark, area the dryness is more important than anything i guess yeah definitely well i know that whatever you have next up for us will be just as amazing as everything you've done in the past and we can't wait to see what you bring us with legend meets science part two uh specifically i know we are all um we're all really excited i I know it's going to be good it's going to be the next the next step in the um in the intro to bigfoot world um, yeah. curriculum that I think everybody I'm should hoping, have to watch. I'm hoping. I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, but I am, I am hoping this will be amazing. I think it'll be great. It'll be yeah. great. Well, thank, thank you, Lauren. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on. Um, you are a great guest. Thank you for giving us so much good information, and uh, your stories are amazing. You've been an amazing guest. So thank you so thank much. You. Well, anytime you want me back on, I'm, I'm here. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. Probably. um, I think we are going to go back and interview that family. And so after that point, you know, we might have to have a round table on to talk about that. Cool. Yeah. So thank you again so much. And um, you, you know, keep working on all your projects and uh, good luck with all of that. All right. Thanks, Lauren. Okay. Thank you. Good night. Okay, everyone. Uh, Thank you guys for listening to this show. I appreciate all of your support and everything. Um, I just wanted to remind everyone real quick, if you'll go hit that subscribe button, hit a like, and don't forget to ring that notification bell so that you can get live updates on Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. Um, You can also find us on Facebook. We have our Facebook page. We have our Facebook group. Now that group is an extension of this live chat to where you can go interact with all the other listeners. You can post pictures. You can um, post videos, network. You can do all that. You can see the events that we have coming up. Um, You can also post your own shows in there and your own projects. Um, We support everybody and try to boost them up in there. Um, Also, I am on Instagram under Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. You can find me on there. And that is where I post my pictures from my adventures and events, also updates on the show. So I appreciate everyone for tuning in tonight. And please don't forget to go like, subscribe, and please share the show with anyone that you think would Um, find it interesting. Again, a huge thank you to Doug for being such an amazing guest. Um, I probably could have kept talking for another couple hours. 
Um, so I wanted to let you know that our next guest is Mr. Ken Gerhard from Texas. And so he is an author, a speaker, and a cryptozoologist. And I have never, no, I think I have had him on the show before, but it was a long time ago. So he has done a lot of great things since then. And I cannot wait to talk to him. That will be November 22nd, 2020 um, at 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, the usual time. So um, everybody just thank you again for listening and supporting the show. And Everybody have a great week. Be safe. Be kind. All right. Good night, everybody. Hello.